Welcome to um, Big Valley Grace Community Church, especially those of you that are visiting with us for the very first time. Welcome to everybody over there in the venue. Thank you, Brandon, Pastor Brandon, for leading uh, worship over there and being the pastor over there. And to the hundreds of you that are watching online, we're glad you're with us. Maybe you're listening on the radio right now. Thank you for um, uh, being here. Um, you know, just a little bit ago, we had all those families up here, and we did it last night in our gathering, and we did it at nine o'clock in our gathering, and we did it this past hour. You got all of these uh, young families up here, moms and dads with their children, and there's this really weighty moment where we're talking about different things, and then we give them a gift. When I say we, I'm talking about we as a church. All of a sudden there's this moment when they're handed the word of God. And we don't give them just one of these little dinky pink little Bibles or blue little Bibles, you know, that they can take home and put in a box somewhere and say, well, I got this neat little thing based upon, you know, the sex of my child. No, no, no. We're giving them a weighty, big study Bible that they can take home and they can begin to read and study. And we've kind of laid out a number of passages in there that'll be uh, important to them as, as parents. Um, that is a great moment in the life of our church whenever we do child dedication the handing of the word of God to them. If you're visiting with us, we're in a series here called The Bible, The Whole Bible, and Nothing But the, the Bible. And next week, I'm gonna wrap it up. If God doesn't come back, I was doing a little bit of research this past week, and I ran across a number of magazine articles, covers of magazines, and Time Magazine had this one. And it's how I'm gonna end the whole series. How true is the Bible? In fact, they had a number of covers over the years. That's from 1975. And I'm gonna answer that question. Is, is the Bible really the Bible? How, how do I know, Pastor Rick? You, you've been hammering this theme for six weeks. How do I know if this really is God's word? And uh, next week, we're gonna answer that question. It'll be the last message in the series, and, and you need to be here. It's a message you don't wanna miss. You might wanna bring a, a friend or six and uh, uh, along with you. I, uh, one of the great things about social media, you know, emails, texting, and all that kind of stuff, is that I get real-time data from, from you. And it has just been a blast to read all of the emails that you send me. Literally, some of you are sending emails maybe to me right now. I mean, I, I look at the time stamp, and I go, hey, uh, that was right in the middle of the message, that's weird. But the, the Lord is doing something in your life, there was a verse that caught your attention, something happened, and you want me to know about it. And I love to read those emails, I, I, I really do, and I, I get lots of them. And one of the things I challenged us to do is by the time Easter hits, which is just a few, about a month away, as I challenged everybody who calls Big Valley Grace their home to read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, for some of you, maybe you've already gotten through it. 
and now you're on your second time or third time, just, just keep reading through the Gospels. Just keep reading those first four books of the New Testament. I ask you to begin to pray about a friend that you might invite here Easter weekend. Easter is one of those great moments when people will come to church. And so I want you to think about the person in the cubicle next to you, somebody you work with, the person that mows your lawn, the person that paints your toes, the person that combs your hair, the, the person who checks your pool, the, the, the guy or the gal in that foursome that you play you know, golf with every Wednesday. Start thinking and praying about those people. Who is it that you're going to invite? And as I always tell you, you always talk to God about your friends before you ever talk to your friends about God. So begin praying for that. And then I asked you to make a commitment to this. This is a holy moment, church. It's a, it's a sacred moment. It's like no other moment in your 168-hour week. It, 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 it's, it's a time that you go, you know what, here's the deal. <laughs> if you understand sin and the fact that you were doomed, you were gonna spend your eternity apart from God in a place called hell, and that Jesus came and died for you, that, that without him, we're just doomed, that he, he's worthy of a commitment to say, look, I'm gonna set aside an hour of my life where I come, I bring my family if you're married, because he is worth it. We, we, we have greater commitments to uh, our jobs and our soccer teams and our you know, my son's baseball team than we do this hour and a half. And something unique happens during this time. When God's people gather together and together we sing songs together. We're together, we, we give. T together we we, you know, celebrate somebody who is being baptized and sta standing up saying, I'm a follower of Christ. We're together, we hear the word of God proclaimed. We're together, we, we fellowship. Something, something happens. It's an important thing to God. And he wants it to be an important thing to us. And so those were three things I've challenged you to, and, and I've just gotten some really neat feedback from a lot of you in all of these areas of who you're praying for. A young guy, young guy got a, got a baby, sent me an email last night and said, you know what, Pastor Rick, frankly, I, I just haven't been all that committed to being with God's people and worshiping the Lord here. And I, I just, I, I gotta make a change in my life and my family's life. And that's a, that, that, that's a good thing. Well, how we began each of these messages is we have a Bible quiz, okay? We've gone to uh, an old school uh, thing here and so. So here's the first question, okay? And these are just warm-ups. Don't yell it out, out loud, okay? Because I want people to wrestle around with this. First question, what's the theme of the 39 books in the Old Testament? 
What's the theme? You got these 39 books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, you know. You got these 39 books that end with the book of Malachi. What's the theme of those 39 books? Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Savior is coming. I've told you that the first three chapters of the Bible, in my opinion, are the most important chapters. If you don't understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3, then the rest of the book really didn't make a whole lot of sense. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 tell us about the creation of, you know, how God created everything, created all of us, how God loved us, cared for us, wanted to be our God, we wanted us to worship him. Then you get to chapter 3 and everything changes. It's in Genesis chapter 3 where we read about sin, And the Bible says that when Adam and Eve sinned, it impacted all of our lives. And from Genesis chapter 3 on, God is basically communicating to us, I'm going to send you a Savior. I'm going to send you a Messiah. I'm going to send you Jesus. Now, they didn't know his name was Jesus. But they were going to, hey, that was the message. Then God goes silent after the book of Malachi for about 450 years. He doesn't say a thing. He's quiet, and then God breaks his silence after 450 years or so. He sends an angel down to a gal and tells the gal, you're gonna have a baby with your husband. And that gal was Elizabeth, and that baby was John the Baptist. A few months later, that angel then goes to a virgin by the name of Mary and tells Mary, Mary, you are going to have the long-awaited Messiah, the sa- you're going to give birth to the Messiah, the Savior. And so you have the New Testament. You got these 27 books in the New Testament, and the theme of the New Testament is Jesus has come. The Messiah has come. The Old Testament, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. The New Testament, 27 books, Jesus has come. He's here. We know who the Messiah is. He was revealed to us in this book right here. We know that the Messiah is Jesus. So if the theme of the Old Testament is Jesus is coming, and the theme of the New Testament is Jesus has come, what's the theme of all 66 books of the Bible? It's just Jesus. Jesus is. This is a book that's about Jesus. You can find Jesus in all 66 books of the Bible. Now, obviously, you don't read the name Jesus in these 39 books here in the Old Testament. You don't read his name, but you read about the Savior, the Messiah, the one who was gonna, who was gonna come. So here's the deal. Question number four. This is where you gotta get your Bibles ready. No cheating, no cell phones. You can't pop in a keyword and have the verse pop up. This is old school. Got to have your Bibles, got to get your fingers a little nimble here, and it's going to be the first one who finds the verse, pops up, and reads it, okay? And if you do that, like every week, I got prizes. <laughs> and the first one is a really great little uh, booklet from uh, Hank Hanagram where he takes the word doctrine, he makes an acrostic out of it, and it's really, it's really great, okay? First person who stands up, okay? And you gotta, you gotta find it in your Bible. You gotta find it, so get ready, okay? Get ready. Last hour, we had a little problem in here. We had 
two people that kind of popped up at the same moment and, hey, I'm the, I'm the referee. My game show, I do it my way. And I had to pick somebody and it didn't go over very well. Okay, here we go. <laughs> First person who stands up and reads Jonah 1, 1 and 2. First person, Jonah 1, 1 and 2. Jonah 1, 1 and 2, help me out, Jonah. Right up there, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, 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 just wait, hang on, ma'am. Don't be angry. I, I, gotta, I gotta go here first. Okay, go ahead, read it. Nailed it, nailed it, okay. Ah, man, I'm sorry, but get, wait, I got one more. I got one more, you may get that one. You got it? Got to run all the way up. Okay, you're gonna go up this, I think this way, up that way. Okay, stretch out a little bit. All right, come on. <laughs> I know, get out of here. All right. Hey, by the way, let, let, me, uh, let me just talk about that passage just for a second. In the Old Testament, those 39 books in the Old Testament, God has uh, chosen a, a, a group of people, the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel, and he really loves them in a deep way. And he, he, he uses the, the people of Israel in a very unique way. He wanted to use the people of Israel in a very unique way. Now, he loves everybody. But he made a choice to choose the nation of Israel to get the message out there about the salvation of the Lord. And here is a great story. Some of you know the story. There's this city called Nineveh, and it's not a, they're not Jewish people, but they're living in sin, horrible sin. They're gonna die in their sin. They're gonna spend their eternity apart from God because of their sin. And so God takes this man, Jonah, and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to this city, and I want you to tell the people there about me. I want you to tell them about their sin and tell them they, they need to repent of their sin. And it's in the story of Jonah where you see the heart of God, that he, he loves everybody and he wants to use the Jewish people to reach all of the nations. In the New Testament, it's a little bit different. God loves everybody. But if you're a follower of him, you're a very unique person to God. You're a part of his family. And he wants to use you, just like he wanted to use the Jews in the Old Testament to reach all of the people, just like he wanted to use Jonah to reach the people of, of Nineveh. Okay, get your fingers ready. Here we go. The next uh, prize is this. It's a great book called God's Battle Plan for the Mind. And it's a book on what is, what is biblical meditation. A lot of crummy things out there about meditation nowadays. This is what the Bible, this is a great work right here. And it's the first person who stands up and reads Philemon 4 and 5. Philemon 4 and 5. What? Whoa! Hold on here. Oh, hey, 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 hang on here. Whew. Man. That was crazy. That was, that's, that's kind of frightening. Be straight up with you. I just want you to know, I'm a little bit frightened that she got that that quick. Go ahead, read it. Okay, four and five. 
Yeah. Nailed it. Nice job. Woo. Oh, it takes two of you now. Tim couldn't handle it on his own anymore. Unbelievable. These young guys. All right. Let me tell you why I chose those two passages. Is there little tiny books in the Bible? In fact, Philemon in some of your Bibles is just one little page. Jonah's not very many pages. And part of being a follower of Jesus Christ is knowing the Bible, the, the, the construct of the Bible, the 39 books, the 27 books, whatever all that might be. And I want you to have to find those little tiny books. It's easy to go, oh, Psalms, boom. There's all kinds of pages. But it's impressive to find Jonah, Philemon, whatever it might be. Okay, question number six, and this is just between you and the Lord. How many days this last week did you read your Bible? How many days, you know, did you find yourself getting up early in the morning, maybe having some coffee or tea, and just spending time with the Lord in his word? I've gotten a lot of people who have told me, man, they've totally rearranged their lunch hours or lunch half hours. And it's become a time of being with the Lord in his word. Did you get seven days in? How about six? How about three? How about this question? Did you try to memorize a verse in the Bible this past week? Was there a passage in God's word that was so weighty in your life that had such meaning that you said, you know what, I've got to somehow you know, embed that in my brain? Uh, I have a group of guys that I meet with on Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, one of them sitting right over here. And uh, one of the things we do is we memorize scripture together. And then what we do is usually each week we either write it out and then pass it around to each other and then we get to be the teacher. We get to grade each other's work or uh, last week we actually verbalized it because we're, we're memorizing a whole chapter of the word. And so each one of us took a moment to rattle off the, the, the whole thing. Is there a passage that you memorized? How about this? Do you have your Bibles with you right now? Come on, raise them up. If you got your Bible, let me see it. Let me see your, come on, man, get them up there, get them up there. A lot of phones are going up, the smartphones. Nothing wrong with that, I guess. <laughs> hey, here's the deal, Christian. If, you know, you're a follower of Jesus, when you come to church, bring your Bible, okay? I realize life happens, you walk out the door, you forget it and you come to church. Now, you never walk out the door and forget your phone, but you'll walk out the door and forget your Bible and not go back and get it. Your phone, are you kidding me? You could be pulling into this parking lot and go, my phone! You're gonna drive all the way home and get that baby and come back. The Bible, ah, whatever, yeah, whatever, okay. He's gonna put it up on the jumbotrons anyway. Hey, look, I do put it up on the jumbotrons because I want you to see the word of God. I realize there's a lot of people who don't have a copy of the Bible, I get it. But just because I put it up on the jumbotrons is not an excuse for you as a Christian who called Big Valley Grace your home not to bring the word with you. So you can write in it and you know, maybe the Lord's gonna say something to you. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, you can go right inside the altar room, you can go into the altar room over in the venue and we've got Bibles for you, we'll give you a Bible. Or maybe you're watching online, if you don't have a Bible, Part of the offering moment is we buy lots of, lots of Bibles with, with your offerings. 
And all you have to do is come to the church on Monday and we'd be more than happy to give you a Bible. All right, listen to these words from our brother Peter. Peter said, so then rid yourself of all evil, all lying, hypocrisy, jealousy, and evil speech. As newborn babies want milk, you should want the pure and simple teachings. By it, by the teachings found in the word of God, you can mature in your salvation. And that's a great illustration. I, I think Peter was thinking back to when his wife had their first babies, you know. I've had three babies in my home, and all of them, when they got hungry, did the same thing. I mean, you could tap dance in front of them. You, you could do anything you wanted to. They, they weren't going to stop crying. They wanted food. And they were going to let you know, and the only way they knew how, I need food. And as long as they got food, you know what? They, they got a little bit bigger. And they got a little bit bigger. Then they got a little bit bigger. And you keep feeding them and they just keep getting bigger. Just, as long as they keep getting food. And some of us know, you may stop going this way, but you'll still get bigger. You'll get, you'll get bigger. It's weird what food does. You grow physically by it. And here's the deal. The same thing's true in your spiritual life. You, you, you need food, spiritual food, to grow or mature in your faith. I, I have no doubt that Peter was thinking about his children and how they just longed for, 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 for the milk of the word. And he knew that, that the milk the, from, from their mother was gonna help these little babies grow. And he makes this unbelievable connection to those of us that name the name of Christ. Just like a baby needs milk, you need the word. And it's only the word that will help you mature or grow in your faith. The spiritual food that we need is the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. That's what we need. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter four, people do not live by bread alone. Now we need bread. Our physical bodies need caloric intake. We need bread, we need sandwiches, we need breakfast, we need lunch, we need dinner. These physical bodies of ours have to have you know, caloric intake. But Jesus says people don't live by bread alone. They live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, this food is way more weighty or important than your Subway sandwich or the bagel you had this morning or the lunch you're gonna have. That's important, your body needs it, I get it. But this has to trump even the physical food. 
Our brother Job really understood this truth. Listen to what he said in Job chapter 23. He said, I have not departed from his commands, but I have treasured his words more than my lunch, more than my dinner. Now I don't, obviously Job didn't have this. I'm not really sure what Job had. Maybe it was just the actual verbal words from God that he would have written down. But all I know is this, is Job is, is really given us as Christians our battle cry. This has to be way more important in our lives than whatever it is you eat for breakfast or lunch or dinner or snacks. This right here. You gotta want this more than you even want regular food. The whole point of these past six weeks or this series that we've been in is that we would be a church family that treasured the Bible more than, more than food. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you a couple thoughts that will help you really get the most out of your Bible, the food that we need. And the first one is by far the most important one, okay? You might wanna write these down. Number one, you get the most out of your Bible when you really accept its authority in your life. Okay, you, you get the most out of this when you make the commitment, you settle the issue that this is going to be the authority for your life, the authority in your family, the authority in your business, if you own a business, this is going to be your ultimate authority. It's not your only authority, but it trumps every other authority. This trumps any other authority in your life. This right here, you gotta settle that issue. In 1 Thessalonians chapter two, Paul writes and he says this, therefore we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas, you accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. See, these people at this church had settled the issue. They knew that these just weren't the words of men. They knew that God had supernaturally empowered these people who wrote the scriptures or who were speaking the scriptures at that time. And they weren't writing their own words. They were writing the very words that God wanted them to write. Now, they were writing them in their own personalities and all that kind of stuff. But you have to settle the issue here today, Christian, of what is going to be the ultimate authority in your life. In fact, I think it's the key issue for those of us that name the name of Christ. If all you did today was simply settle this issue, I want you to know it would be worth you know, coming here today. You see, if you don't accept the Bible as the ultimate authority in your life, if you don't make this commitment, then nothing else I'm gonna say is gonna matter. Nothing. It's so important that I wanna just take a few moments and unpack this, and I really want you to pay attention, okay? Just, just lock on to what I'm, what I'm saying here. Everybody here has a worldview. Everybody here has a set of beliefs that you uh, base your life on. Whether you think you do or not, 
you do. Now, some of you have never thought about it. Some of you right now are going, really? Do I have a worldview that I kind of base my life on? Do I have a set of beliefs that I base my life on? You do. And let me unpack this for you for just a, a, a moment. This worldview that you have or this set of beliefs that you have um, kind of helps you uh, view everything in life. Your worldview will basically is it's how you view God. It's how you view yourself. It's how you view life and death. It's how you view pain and suffering. It's how you view good and evil. It's how you view money. It's how you view dating. It's how you view marriage or whatever. In fact, here's the deal. If you tell me what your view is on any of these things, I can tell you what your worldview is. You tell me what your view of God is, and I'll tell you what your worldview is. You tell me what your view of yourself is, and I'll tell you what your worldview is. Some of you are here and you think, well, my view of me, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a happenstance of nature. Two molecules got together a billion years ago, and, and the evolutionary process took place, and here I am today. And I'm not mocking you, I'm not making fun of you, but some of you believe that, and that's based on a particular worldview, you see? You, I could take any one of these issues, you tell me what you think about those issues, and I'll tell you what that worldview is. It's always fun to look at my Facebook page, I don't look at it a lot, but when I do, and I see some of the things are post, that are posted, or things that are, you know, people write on their Twitter page, I immediately know what their worldview is about certain things, by what they choose to post, or what they choose to say, or what they put on their, you know, their Twitter feed. I see their worldview. I know what the set of beliefs are that they're basing their life on. It, it becomes very, very obvious at that moment. Here, here, here's the deal. Let me tell you how this works. Every time you're faced with a decision, your brain is wired in such a way that it automatically accesses your worldview. It automatically accesses your set of beliefs to help you know what decision you need to make. And it just happens. Just, just, just goes down. So if you base your life or the decisions you make on a faulty worldview or a faulty set of beliefs, the results obviously can be disastrous. So you better make sure that your worldview or the set of beliefs that you're basing your life on are accurate. Because every decision you make in life is based on them. Let me get real specific, okay? Let's say you're married. And let's say you and your spouse begin to fight and argue and life isn't going very well. It happens in every marriage, okay? Your worldview, the, the set of beliefs you live by will determine what you're gonna do at that moment. Work things out, get a counselor, go to, into the altar room and have people pray for you, call your minister, Get a divorce, I don't know, hire a hitman, <laughs> whatever. You know, I, 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 I don't know what it, what it is. But see, what happens is, is all of a sudden you're fighting. There's things aren't going well. And immediately, your worldview kicks in as to what you're gonna do. <sighs> well, what's the big deal? I'm just gonna get a divorce. And that's what a lot of people do. A lot of Christians do that. Or, you know what? God's... I've settled the issue. I know what God's word says, and so that's not even an option, so we gotta go get some help. 
Obviously, got to get some help. See? How you handle that moment will be all determined by what you, what you believe, your worldview. And you can extrapolate that out to any decision that you basically make in, in life. As I said earlier, I, I, I can know what your worldview is or what your set of beliefs is by looking at the decisions you make. And by the way, you can do that with me also. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. At the very moment you gave your life over to Jesus Christ, everything changed in your life. You, your, your sins were forgiven, right? You got a new identity. You were born again. You got a fresh start in life. I don't know. Your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You became a God, part of God's family. All those great things. But the one thing that didn't change was your mind. Your mind is still filled up with a bunch of old data, old stuff that you learned as a kid growing up, which may or may not have been true, yet they continue to fill your thoughts. Things that your parents told you, things that your friends told you, things that a teacher told you, things that a professor in college told you, things that a, a Hollywood movie told you, Things that modern music told you as you listen to a song over and over again. I did it my way. That's a worldview, by the way. It's not a biblical worldview. But, it, but, but it's a worldview that a lot of Christians have. A lot of Christians. They heard that song. That's right, yeah, and I do it my way, man. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm my own man, I'm my own woman, man. No one's gonna tell me what to do. Me and Frank, man. Frank's a man. <laughs> All these things that were taught to you from the music, the movies, the, your parents, your teachers, your friends, or whatever, are still locked in your mind, and some of them need to be erased because they weren't true. But because you didn't know they weren't true, you just kept building your life on them. You didn't know. You just didn't know. Paul said this in uh, Colossians chapter two. He said, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding high nonsense. In other words, don't let anyone capture you with some faulty worldview because they come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, the demonic rather than from Christ. And we're being bombarded all the time through the music we listen to, what Hollywood produces, all that stuff, a particular worldview. They obviously have a set of beliefs that they, that they live on, live by. One of the reasons some of you struggle so much in your walk with the Lord is because you're still captured by some faulty worldview, a faulty set of beliefs, things that you were taught growing up that simply weren't true, which means you're, you're still making decisions based upon that faulty worldview. And it's messing up your life. It's messing up what God wants to do in your life. All this to say that if you're a follower of Jesus, it's super important that you make a commitment that the scriptures are going to be the ultimate authority in your life. 
Yes, the music industry is gonna pump out something. Yes, Hollywood's gonna pump out something. Yes, the college you go to is gonna pump out something. Yes, your parents are gonna you know, pump out something. Yes, your friends are gonna have, they're gonna tell you all kinds of stuff. But you gotta settle the issue. What's gonna be your authority in life? And if this isn't gonna be it, then there's no point in going to number two. Number two isn't even gonna matter. Now, I understand it if you're here and you don't know Christ as your savior. I, I get it. Some of you are going, well, I don't believe the Bible. I get that. And you don't, obviously you don't base your, your life on this. There are some things you like. You, you know, thou shalt not commit murder. Yeah, I can go with that one. I, I get it. There's a few things in here you, you could grasp and say, I agree with that. I mean, who doesn't agree with that, right? Well, Hitler didn't. But there's, there, there, there's a lot of people who, who, who would agree with that. Hitler had a particular worldview. He had a set of beliefs that he lived by. Very committed to it, too. I'm talking to those of you that know Christ as your Savior. If you haven't settled that, then number two, you can check out. I don't know, check your phone, check your email, because it isn't going to matter. But if you have made that, then let's move on to number two. You get the most out of your Bible when you actually spend time reading it and studying it. I mean, why read it and study it if it's not gonna be the authority in your life? Well, why burn a bunch of Jews doing that? See, one of the reasons why some of you, bless your souls, call yourselves Christians but never read and study the scriptures is because you know what? You don't want this to be the authority in your life. You like some of it, but not all of it. But if you have made this the, 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 the authority of your life, if you've settled that issue, then man, then you gotta go to number two, and that is this, then you gotta read it and study it. Psalms chapter one says, happy are those who reject the advice of evil people who do not follow the example of, of sinners or join with those that have no use for God. Instead, they find joy in obeying the law of the Lord and they study it day and night. There's this idea that we are to, since we've made the decision that this is the authority, that we're studying it day and night. Now, it's not the only thing we study. If you're a, if you're a mechanic in here, you've got to study up on you know, new engines and you know, new ways of repairing cars. If, if you're an attorney, you've got some studying you have to do. Nothing wrong with studying for the career fields or whatever that you're in. But obviously, this, if it truly is your authority, has to be something that's included in that. Because this is what you're gonna base your life on, so you better know what it says. Obviously, the Bible can't impact your life or your family or influence your life or your family if you don't read it and study it, right? Now, I know that many of you struggle with the study part. In fact, I've gotten a lot of emails from you that say, man, Pastor Rick, I, I love to read my Bible. It's the studying piece of it that gets to be a little bit difficult. And so what I wanna do is I'm gonna give you five questions and you need to write these down. Five questions that'll transform your study time, okay? These are good questions that you ought to ask, and I'm gonna kind of ramble through these pretty quick here. Number one, is there a sin to avoid in the passage you're reading? 
When you're reading the Bible, as you're reading some portion of scripture, ask yourself, is there a sin in this passage that God is telling me to avoid? I've, I've made the commitment that it's the authority in my life. And so as you read it, say, huh, is there a sin here that God doesn't want me to do? And let me give you an example, okay? Let's say you're reading through Exodus and you get to Exodus chapter 20 and you read verse seven. The Bible says you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. So if you get there and you ask yourself, huh, is there a sin out of, yeah, there's a sin. Avoid misusing the name of the Lord. Don't, don't use his name as a cuss word. Don't, don't use his name just flippantly. Let me tell you one of the ways a lot of Christians misuse the name of the Lord. When you go to another brother or sister and you say, the Lord told me to tell you this. You just misused his name. The Lord told you to tell me that? Look, just say, hey, listen, I've been thinking and praying. I just want to tell you something. Pastor Rick, I think this would be a great series for you to do. Why don't you, have you ever thought about doing this? But don't come to me and misuse the name of the Lord and say, Pastor Rick, God told me that you're supposed to do this as your next series. That's weird, because God just told somebody else 10 seconds ago to come to me and it's a different series. I didn't realize God was schizophrenic. It's unbelievable how people can misuse the name of the Lord to try to manipulate people, whatever all that might be. Bible says in Ephesians chapter four, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Obviously, when you get to a passage like that, God's saying, look, avoid this sin. Don't use your tongue in a way that's crummy. Don't do that. And maybe you grew up in a home where guess what? Your dad or your mom you know, misused the name of the Lord and used their tongue in a crummy way and that's just what you kinda, that, that's your worldview. I mean, that's just what people did in my home. Well, this is now your authority, Christian. Now it's time to say, you know what? I, I, I don't wanna build my life on that faulty data I got from my parents as it related to cussing, swearing, whatever it might be. I now want to base my life on what the Word of God says, see? The second question you need to ask yourself, is there a lesson to learn in the passage you're reading? When you're reading the Bible, as you're reading some portion of Scripture, ask yourself, is there a lesson in this passage that God has wanted me to learn? You go back to the, the verse, uh, the Jonah verse. God tells Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to tell the people in Nineveh about me. But the story goes on and says that Jonah said, I ain't doing it. And he gets on a boat, goes the opposite direction of Nineveh. And we all know the story, even those of you that are here who don't know Christ. Jonah ends up in the belly of a ginormous fish and finally God spits him up on the beachhead and you know, Jonah goes, I surrender, I'll do it. Now, he, didn't have the greatest, he didn't have the greatest attitude about it, but he did it. Now, let me tell you something. When you read a story like that, there's a lot of lessons that you learn in that story. One of them is you can try to run from God all you want, but you'll never outrun him. 
You, you can try to get away from God. <laughs> he's right there. And he's not even breathing hard. You can't get away from him. Another lesson you learn in the story of Jonah is God can, can use anything he wants to get you to comply. He can even use a ginormous fish. That's a good question to ask. Is there, is there some lesson in this story that I ought to learn? Question number three, is there a command to obey in the passage that you're reading? An example, let's say you're reading through John 15 and you run across these words from Jesus. This is my command, love each other. <laughs> Not a suggestion. Hey, here's a good idea. Hey, if you got nothing else better to do, Christian, why don't you love each other? He said, this is a command that you love each other. Colossians chapter three says, since God chose you to be holy people, he loves you, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. There's a lot of commands in there that God wants us to obey as his, as his children. Another question you ought to ask yourself, question number four is, is there a promise to claim in the passage that you're reading? An example, the Bible says in 1 John, if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a great promise there to claim. If there's sin in your life, all you have to do is go to him Humbly, confess it to the Lord and he'll forgive you. That's a, that's a, a great uh, promise to claim. And the Bible's filled with them. And last but not least, question number five, is there a truth to ponder in the passage that you're reading? Give me an example. Jesus said this, if you love your father or your mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Yeah. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. And here's the deal, family. When you're reading through, you get to Matthew chapter 10, you get to verse 37, you know what you do? You just kind of stop. And you put down your Bible and you ponder that for a while. That's weighty. Now, Jesus isn't saying you're not to love your spouse. He's not saying you shouldn't love your parents. Obviously, you're to love your parents. The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. But he is telling us something there in his word. That you're to love me, Jesus says, more than anything else. Your love for me is to be supreme over all other loves. And that's something everybody should ponder. You, you think about that. Ephesians chapter three says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That was one of our, our Bible study verses. And for whatever reason, he's sitting right over here. That verse captivated him. And so we always kind of go back and review our verses. 
And this one particular guy kept, man, we'd go back to that and he'd go, man, I want to talk about that. I mean, that, that, he wanted us to ponder that and the significance of that passage in our lives as, as men, as husbands, as, as you know, employees or owners of businesses or whatever we, we are. It's a good thing that there's no sin to avoid there. But that's something to ponder. There's also maybe a great promise to claim there too. One of the great things that happens when you ask yourself these five questions is that it causes you to think about the word of God. Paul wrote to this young preacher named Timothy and he said this in chapter two of 2 Timothy. He said, think about what I'm saying. And one of the things I've found with Christians today in America is we don't stop and think about the Word of God. We read it, but thinking has, has kind of the thought of you, you pick up a number two pencil and a yellow pad of paper and you begin to ask yourself some questions about it. You're thinking about it. You're dwelling on it. You're pondering it. You're, you're saying, God, what does this mean for me? What does it mean for my marriage, my kids, my family? You, you, gotta, you gotta stop and think about it. And then the scripture goes on and says, the Lord will help you understand all these things. Look, you have the Holy Spirit in you, Christian. The great teacher lives inside of you. And if you'd stop for a moment, ask yourselves these five questions, think about some passage. You know what? God, through his Holy Spirit, is quite capable of helping you unlock this. This wasn't written to trick anybody. He wanted everybody to get it. But you gotta make the commitment that this is gonna be the authority in my life, the authority of my family, the authority in my business, and then you have to say, okay, because I've settled that issue, I'm gonna spend some time reading it and studying it. Now let me give you one question you never wanna ask when you're reading your Bible. You never ask this question. You never ask, what does this passage mean to me? Who cares what it means to you? You want to ask, what did it mean to God? Why did he write it? I've talked with so many people, you know, single dudes, you know, and you read a passage off in my office to them about sexual immorality and what God has to say about it, and they go, well, let me tell you what that means to me. If I love the girl, then what's the big deal? God doesn't care. Hey, no, who cares what it means to you? What did God mean when he wrote it? What was the point of it? And that's what we're trying to bore into, not what does it mean to us. Now, you can ask, well, man, how do I apply this to my life? Once you know what God meant by it, but you never want to ask, well, what does this mean to me? Your heart is deceitfully wicked. You don't want to ask yourself that question. So let, let's say these five things out loud together, okay? Here we go. Is there a sin to avoid? Number two, is there a lesson to learn? Number three, is there a command to obey? Number four, is there a promise to claim? Number five, is there a truth to ponder? Now here's the deal. I'm gonna give you the next one just real quick. Write these down. Number, number three, you get the most out of your Bible when you commit it to memory. Yes, you settle the issue. Now I'm gonna read it and study it because I wanna base my life on it. I want this to be my worldview. 
I need to get rid of all these crummy, you know, things that I, I was taught that are in my mind. I want to make sure I understand the scriptures. And then you go, I, I need to memorize the word of God. Let me tell you one of the great benefits of memorizing the word. It, it helps you fight against sin. It's really one of the great weapons to fight off sin. In Genesis chapter four, we're, we're given some data. And just, just I know we're over a little bit here. And part of that was the baptism because of this family that was coming into town. Praise the Lord. That was fantastic. But just give me a second here. In Genesis chapter four, we read these words. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. I mean, he was a, he was a farmer. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best, not, not just something, but the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out and listen to this next phrase. Sin is crouching at your door. Wow. It's got this idea that, you know, right outside your front door, you know, when you walk out to get your paper this morning or whatever, you know, sin was just behind a bush. Just waiting for you. There it is, it's always there. Ready to mess up your life, ready to mess up your family, ready to mess up your career, ready to mess up your whatever it might be. It's crouching at the door, it's right there, it's always there. In fact, it sounds a lot like what Peter said in 1 Peter, where he said, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And if you're like me, I love those you know, nature programs where you see the lion. He's all golden and he's walking through the weeds. He's all crouched down and there's Mr. Wildebeest and he doesn't know the lion, this 800 pound beast is crouching, waiting. That's the imagery that the Bible gives to us, family. And one of the ways you overcome sin that's crouching at your door or the lion that's out there ready to devour you and your family and your marriage is when you have the word of God memorized. It really is a help. And then the last one is you get the most out of your Bible when you do what it says. When you do what it says. Our brother James says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. And let me unpack it this way for you. And I'll end with this. If all you do is make a commitment that this is going to be the authority of my life, I've settled it, Pastor. And Pastor, I'm now, I'm reading it, and I'm studying it. I'm even asking those five questions. And I'm even committing the Word of God to memory. If that's all you do, you're only fooling yourselves. 
It's now going the last step. I'm going to live it out. I'm going to live this out. I'm going to encourage my family to live it out. I'm going to include... I'm going to encourage my spouse to live it out. I'm going to encourage my children to live it out. I watched something really beautiful right down here a little bit ago. The offering basket went by, and there was a mom or a grandma, I don't know who it was, and she put her offering in there, and she says to me, she leans over, and she goes, hey, where'd the basket go? And I said, well, I'll go get it. And she says, I want to make sure that my children put an offering in that basket. And I went, Okay. She's teaching her children something or her grandchildren something. She's teaching them something very important. She could have said, you know what? We're gonna base our life on the word of God, kids. And we're gonna read and study the word of God. And we're gonna memorize the word of God. And the word of God says we're to give. But then she never lives it out. All she would have done is deceived herself. But she's helping her children live it out because she's living it out. The idea of of giving. Hebrew says, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. Boy, isn't that awesome? Let me tell you what happens with a lot of believers. They've settled the issue. And they go to our men's Bible studies. They go to our women's Bible studies. You know, they're, they're, they read their devotionals in the morning. They're asking those five questions. They've committed to memory, but because they don't live it out, they don't make that last commitment. You know what happens? You just, you just kind of start to drift. You don't even notice it at first. But all of a sudden, you know, a month or two or three go by, and it's like, whoa, where are we? I mean, you got your job, you got your home, you got your family, you got your career, you got your vacations, you're, but wow, your walk with God has just drifted. It's that last step that's so critical. Okay, in the venue, stand up. Everybody in here, stand up. Let me pray, and then you go get your kids. Father, really thankful for this weekend. I have really, really enjoyed this, watching people being baptized last night, this hour watching all these families dedicate their their lives to raising their kids to the glory of God. Man, it was just great to sing all these great songs and to give together and fellowship together. And Lord, I'm just grateful for your word. Lord, may we be known throughout the valley as a church that really believes that the Bible is your word. May we have that kind of reputation The people of that church believe the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible, and they're living it out as best they can. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness. Give us a great afternoon, and I pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, go go, go get your kids. Go get them. Go get them. Go get them.